What's up, guys? Welcome back to another Sport Universe podcast. It's me, Brian. I'm joined with Nick. What's going on, guys? And Max. Hello, everybody. All right. So after a pretty historical week in terms of United States history with Joe Biden being elected, obviously we're not going to ignore that fact, but I feel like our podcast being a sports-based podcast, we're just going to focus on sports. Um, we have some football games to talk about, baseball news, basketball news, a little hockey news. So let's just start right in with football. Got it. So this game's weeks, uh, this week's games of football, some pretty good games here this week. Uh, starting out, we had the Packers 49ers, uh, you know, not close of a game. Packers went to 34 to 17. Packers moved to six and two. 49ers moved to four and five. Uh, ultimately the story here, you know, Packers had a pretty decent game. Our Aaron Rodgers performing, you know, having that really comeback year after having a couple down years. He's performing really well this year. Uh, 305 yards, four touchdowns in this game. Um, great game for him. And then um, Devontae, Devontae Adams done a great game for him, 173 yards, 10 receptions, a touchdown. Uh, every time that Devontae Adams has touched the field healthy this year, or relatively healthy this year, he's been explosive. So um, pretty incredible there. On the 49ers side of things, uh, you know, not much to talk about here. They're, they're so injury-riddled. Uh, for a team that was so good last year, I think injuries have really gotten the best of them this year. They, they're just a team that's caught the injury bug. Um, you know, Kittle, Garoppolo, uh, Raheem Mostert. They're all out. Uh, so I think that's really the, the fault of this team right now. And I, I really can't put it to anything else. Um, you know, four and five with the amount of injuries that they have is still a pretty solid record, in my opinion. And they may have the chance to win, get to the playoffs if they can get healthy and really finish well out uh, in the second half of the, you know, the rest of the season. But uh, it's been pretty tough for the 49ers so far. Uh, Packers, big one here. Yeah, it's... um. I, this wasn't really a surprise here. I knew the Packers would come in, and I thought they'd beat them by a lot, and they did. You know, they're looking like a, like a top five team in the league right now. They're Aaron Rodgers playing like he's in prime form almost, and then like you said, the Forty Nine ers just too injured to keep up with anything. And I don't remember. I don't remember if I said it here or somewhere else. If I'm repeating myself, if I'm repeating myself, I'm sorry. But um, there, I saw us um, something. I think ESPN posted it on Instagram or something, and it was that the. 49ers were starting a completely new offense from what they had in the NFC Championship game when they played the Packers. They had a completely new offense on Thursday night because they've just been so injury riddled. Like, it's just crazy. Uh, honestly, incredible. Just, you know, one, one week they get guy back, the next time they lose him again. Uh, Garoppolo, you know, he, he's really. He's not. The reason this offense is so good, I think it's a lot. To, it's, it's due to a lot to scheme. But I think Garoppolo is really the glue that held the offense together in terms of being able to manage the games from a passing standpoint, um, being a leader, which with him being injured, I think it's a big loss for them. Um, with that being said, uh, going to the next game, we had the Ravens and Colts. The Ravens win this one 24-10. Um, Ravens moved to 6-2. and two. Colts moved to 5-3. and three. This game's a little deceiving with the score, honestly. This game was really close up until the third, fourth quarter, really. Uh the Ravens kind of ran away with the game, but the first half of the game was very contested. You had the Colts up 10-7 to at, at halftime. Um, that Colts defense is really incredible. I think they're not talked about enough. Uh, as a group, they're really good. And uh, the reason that the Colts are, are so competitive this year, um, you know, even though they're 5-3, and three, they, I think their defense has really been the, the shining star of this team. Um you know, passing-wise, Phillip Rivers, zero touchdowns, one interception, obviously not good. Um, you know, offensively, wasn't great for the Raven, uh, the Colts. 
on the Ravens side of things, I just I continue to see Lamar Jackson struggle. Um, we talked about it uh, in a couple podcasts that you know it's it's really hard in the NFL to repeat a, a historical season like Lamar Jackson had last year. Teams start to game plan around you, and usually that, that year they come off an MVP. Usually, see players fall back a little bit in terms of their their production. Uh, but then, you know, the really good players, those Hall of Fame caliber players, will learn how to, you know what, they game plan me for this way, I can out game plan them. And essentially, just going back and forth, constantly improving themselves. Um, you know, that's what Lamar Jackson's going to have to do, you know, for either the rest of this season or maybe next season. Um, obviously, there's plenty of time to do it this season. Uh, but Lamar Jackson, again, continues to struggle. And not struggle, struggle, but struggle compared to what he did last year. Uh, he's 19 for 23 passing, right? 170 yards with touchdowns and interceptions. Um, you know, he's also the leading rusher. You know, for Lamar Jackson standards, you know, comparing him to last year, he struggled, but uh, still a great quarterback, and I think he's he's going to do well for the rest of the year. Uh, it's just a matter of can, can he really pick up this Ravens team because, um, you know, they're going to take they, – we've seen them struggle repeti- uh, repeatedly throughout the season, and although they, they get the one in this game and they kind of came together in that second half, um, the Colts are, are definitely, in my opinion, not one of the better teams in the NFL. You know, definitely competitive, but uh, come playoff time, they can't afford to play teams like the Chiefs, the Titans, the Steelers. Um, I think, and, and do as bad as they did in that first half. Um, and it's really going to hold them back. Yeah, I, I think this game. I think it says I mean, the, the defenses in both teams. This game are obviously both really, really good. But I think this says honestly a lot about the offenses when you think about the. Colts offense, I think we've kind of known for a long time. Philip Rivers, he, he's washed at this point in his career. He hasn't been able to do much. He didn't yesterday. I mean, I don't think that's a huge surprise there, even though you, you might have expected more than 10 points. For the Ravens, it just seems like they're getting figured out. And I know where it's a midseason and things could change, but and we talk, and like you said, it's tough for quarterbacks like Lamar Jackson to have historic seasons two years in a row, but it just seems like more than anything, they're just like, they're he, Teams are figuring him out. Like, I remember last year when I think Patrick Mahomes had, like, a couple games of struggling, but they were still winning. And then he got hurt. He came back and, and started doing fine again. But I guess Lamar Jackson, he's not doing the same thing. I just don't know what it is. Maybe I'm being too critical, but just one of those things where a lot of people, including myself, watched their playoff game last year and thought, well, maybe this is really is not a team that can make the playoffs if Lamar can improve as a passer. And maybe a little harsh, but has he proven us wrong at this point? They haven't really won big games, and they haven't they haven't really won convincingly like they had last year, and against good teams in the playoffs, I don't know if they have what it takes. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Totally agree there. Um, and then moving on from that game, we had the Washington football team versus the New York Giants. Uh, Giants win this one 23-20. Pretty similar to the game they had a couple weeks ago. Uh, Giants are 2-7 and seven now. Washington is 2-6. and six. Um, you know, on, on the Giants side of things, Daniel Jones, whenever he plays the Washington football team or formerly the Redskins, he just seems to have great games and he, he plays, you know, Tom Brady-esque levels. Um, maybe not Tom Brady-esque levels, but, you know, he just improved whatever it is about this Washington football team. And especially their defense has been really solid this year. You know, we, we talked about their defensive line uh, being pretty solid. They've also had, uh, as a team, a pretty good secondary. Um, I think they're like the fifth or sixth ranked defense in the entire league. Um, by PFS standards, and for whatever reason, Daniel Jones just likes to go off against the team. Two hundred and twelve uh, passing yards, one touchdown, two interceptions. Um, for Daniel Jones standards, that is going off. Um, you know, offensively, uh, you know, Alfred Morris had he was he was okay. 
Um, for the Giants, Wayne Gallman was solid. You know, not much to talk about offensively or honestly defensively. This game is more about Washington. Um, yeah. First of all, uh, prayers up for Kyle Allen. Uh, if you guys didn't catch the game yesterday, uh, he was getting sacked yesterday, kind of rolled his ankle in an awkward way and broke it similar to the way that we saw Dak Prescott break his, I think it was two weeks ago. Uh, so Kyle Allen, likely done for the year. Uh, Ron Rivera said don't count him out, but it, I just don't see him coming back from that type of injury uh, within the season, especially the fact that we're halfway through already and Washington likely will not make the playoffs. I would expect Kyle Allen to be done for the season. Um, uh, but Alex Smith came in, right? So Kyle Allen, 62 yards, uh, didn't really put up anything else besides that, no touchdowns or interceptions. Alex Smith comes in, right? Um, what I would expect out of Alex Smith is, is some consistency. Um, you know, he's been in the league for a long time. He may not be as great of an athlete as he was, especially considering his, his injury. Um, but he comes in, and uh, you know, some of it's I guess bad luck. Some of it's just poor decision making by him. Comes in, throws one touchdown, three interceptions, uh, only set only three hundred twenty-five yards passing. But I think Washington had like five turnovers within three quarters. And it was just, it, it was terrible football being played. Um, the Giants, you know, the Giants dominated the first half. They were up 20 to 3. And even with the amount of turnovers, it, it, I guess it's more of, more of a uh, saying about how bad the Giants are. But Washington came back and almost made this game competitive. The Giants get a later interception. Alex Smith throws a bad ball. And the Giants win the game by the, the hair in their chin. But, um, you know, Alex Smith is just, I, I don't know where he is right now, especially Washington's football quarterback situation. I don't know where they are either. Kyle Allen's injured. It seems like he was the go-to player um, to go to. Um, but obviously with him being out for the year, likely now they're going to find somebody else in the, into the future. What are they going to do, right? Alex Smith, it seems like he should retire at this point. It was great to see him come back, but he just does not look like the same player. And maybe he'll give, you know, give him a couple extra weeks, see what he can do. But it was a pretty ugly game for him. Dwayne Haskins is so far down in the depth chart, they don't even know where he is now. It seems like they're not confident in him, so they're going to have to possibly draft a quarterback in this next draft. Um, you know, really ugly situation with the quarterback situation in Washington right now, as well as, you know, from top down, besides, let's say, Ron Rivera, that, that whole franchise, as we've talked about in the past, is, is in a pretty bad shape. Uh, positive for Washington, though, Terry McLaurin showing up again, um, 115 yards and a touchdown. He, he's the one shining star. On this team, and I think with all with the certain injuries they've had, I think I saw a report that he is a captain of the team now, which I think he's in his he's in his second year, so it's kind of incredible that he was able to do that so quickly, and he's really a leader for this team. Uh, the one one shining star uh, out of this heap of trash that is the Washington Football Team would be Terry McLaurin. Uh, Max, I think one thing I'm going to add to you that you haven't talked about is I think when the more and more I think about it, and I see the Giants winning these games against other bad teams that they really don't need to win. I think a lot of it actually comes down to the fact that they actually have a pretty talented roster, and especially on defense, it's pretty good. When you look at, they have players like Leonard Williams, Dexter Lawrence, Blake Martinez, who's emerging as one of the better linebackers in the league, James Bradbury, Logan Ryan, Jabril Peppers, and then on offense, you have a good amount of weapons, even though... Um, um, Saquon's out, you still have Wayne guys like Wayne Gallman and Devontae Freeman who can pick up the pace at times, not obviously like, Sa- obviously not like Saquon, but they're mm-hmm. serviceable. Then you have Darius Slayton and Sterling Shepard. I mean, this team is not bad. They just they just can't have a winning record, but they can beat these bad teams. I think it's kind of what we're seeing now. Mm-hmm. And I totally agree. It's like, 
that's how I felt becoming in, coming into the season. Right? I'm like, we have a, we have we we picked up a serviceable amount of talent this offseason. Logan Ryan's been pretty good for us in the secondary. Um, James Bradbury, our secondary's been pretty solid. Jabril Peppers hasn't been great. Um, you know, this past game, he was he was pretty good. You know, at first and second down, the Giants' defense is really solid. So third and fourth downs, they give up too many conversions. And honestly, they just they're not playing well as a team. And I don't know whose fault it is exactly. I can say that Daniel Jones has yet to impress me. He he has never he has not shown me that he's going to be anywhere of a top level talent in this league. And if he, if we're going to keep him around, he'll be at the bottom tier of of serviceable starting quarterbacks. I think. You know, sort of like an Eli Manning in his bad years. Um. As, which I figured, which I originally figured Daniel Jones would be when we drafted him. Uh, he, he just has not shown me any improvements. Is he's going to really be able to lead this team to anything big? But you're right. You, we do have a, we do have a good amount of talent. It's really can they put it all together? Andrew Thomas has probably been the worst tackle out of the draft so far in terms of the first round draft picks, which things. But Matt Hurt, our third round draft pick, our yeah third round draft pick from Connecticut, um, he's been pretty good. So it's just yeah, I just feel like we're not playing well as a team. I think a lot of it could come down to just, like, from the top down. It's like, I always talk about things like the Jets and other... The top down is never good. And there's always complaints about Dave Gettleman. And it just seems to never figure it out where it truly matters. I guess that's also why teams like... Another team like the Browns, they've been such a laughing stock for all these years. Is Are we seeing the same thing with the Giants just in that group at the top where it really matters? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I honestly don't know the answer is because they did just shift out for Joe Judge, right? And it doesn't seem like they made major improvements. Although I heard, have heard a lot better things about Joe Judge than the last two coaches, um, being Pat Shermer and Ben McAdoo. Ben McAdoo, everybody hated him. I mean, Pat I, Shermer. Darn God. I will, I will also say you can't expect, you can't rehire coaches every mm-hmm. two years and expect to be a force. Exactly. Uh, you know, so far Joe Judge has yet to. Impressed you, but apparently he has, from what I understand of the locker room situation, he has 100% support of the locker room. Like, like they're behind him, so that's really important. Whereas, you know, Ben McAdoo at the gate, I don't think anybody was behind him. And Pat Schirmer over time, people were not behind him. Um, so it's going to be interesting to see how Joe Judge handles this moving forward. Um, you know, as long as he has the locker room behind him, then I think as the Giants collect more talent, they start to weld better together. You get guys like Saquon back. Um, you could see this team improve. It's just, I guess, a matter of time to see what's going to happen. Um, with that being said, most of the Titans and the Bears. Titans win this one 24-17. Titans win to 6-2. and two. Bears are now at 5-4. and four. Um, Consistently, we've seen the Bears fall and fall. Uh, both me and you agreed that they were one of those teams that did not deserve the record that they have, and it shows more and more every week. Um, you know, even Nick Foles, didn't, Nick Foles didn't have a terrible game, 335 yards, two touchdowns. Um... I just don't think this Bears team is capable one of winning, and I don't even think they're going to make the playoffs when it's all said and done. Uh, with that being said, Ryan Tannehill, 158 yards, not a lot of passing yards, two touchdowns, so that was pretty good. Derrick Henry, not a great game there with 68 yards, no touchdowns. Um, not an awful game, but you know Derrick Henry's standards, not great. Uh, A.J. Brown has been consistently one of the better wide receivers, in my opinion, in the league this year. Um, 101 yards and a touchdown. Um, I keep going, but Max definitely has a lot more to say about this, so go ahead, Max. Okay, so Coming into this game, we we made actually some overhauls over the week. I wouldn't call them overhauls, just some moves to kind of improve the team and also, I guess, the culture a little bit. So we brought in Desmond King, as I talked about in the last podcast. And then on Tuesday, I did, I probably should have 
done a video over this in the Titan universe, but I'll talk about it now. So we um, let go of Jonathan Joseph, who was terrible in, in every way. And then Vic Beasley, who um, John Robinson, our general manager, he gave a fully guaranteed one year, nine and a half million dollar, con- nine and a half million dollar contract for a year. Wasn't producing. And then he got cut. And I think those moves were important because I mean, it's just um, send a message that the team wasn't doing well on defense and they needed to improve. And then coming to the Sunday, I think we did see a lot of those improvements. Yeah, I think the three areas on defense I was worried about mostly the pass rush, the secondary, and the and third down defense. I, I saw improvements. I the pass rush even wasn't it wasn't like great. It wasn't in your face, but it was solid. And we got um, two two sacks. Um, who were the I'm trying to think? It was. Let me look and see who was credited with the sacks there, because I know we ended up getting three, and then I think it was Rashawn Evans who had a half a sack, and then um, yeah, Jayon Brown and Harold Landry each got a sack, and then Rashawn Evans and Daquan Jones got a half a sack, so not bad numbers there. The secondary I thought was much much better with Desmond King. I think you could see there was definitely a notice- noticeable difference with because I really do think Jonathan Joseph was that much of a negative factor. And with Desmond King in the game, he was much more stingy in coverage. He let, a, I think, one or two passes go, but, I mean, nothing too serious there. I thought he played well. He also had a scoop and score, which was huge. And also on third down, it was a lot better and drastically better because it was at the point of being historically bad. And and then yesterday, it was 2-4. The Bears were 2-4-15 on third down offense, which was huge. And, you know, you could go, you could talk about how the Bears have the fourth worst offense in the league in terms of yards gain, which is fair. I mean, I think that's definitely a big reason why the Titans didn't give up more than 17 points, but I think they deserve credit too because they improved in the areas where they need to improve. And also I point out as bad as the Bears offense is, they were averaging just over 20 points coming in. And yesterday they didn't, they only scored on um, 17 and the, those seven, those um, 14 of those points didn't come till garbage time and the, and then the field goal, which they scored first, didn't even come to the fourth quarter. So I think um, Mike Vrabel and the rest of his staff deserve a lot of credit for making the improvements on defense, even if it was against a, a bad offense. And then on offense, I will admit, I'm a little bit concerned with how the um, how the unit has taken a bit of a step back in the past few weeks, only scored, scoring 24, 20, and then 24 again this week. But, I mean, I can't complain too much because they, they show flexibility, even when Derrick Henry doesn't have a great game. Ryan Tannehill didn't either, but then AJ Brown, who I don't think people, I really don't think people talk about enough. I think he gets overshadowed with Derek Henry being on the offense. I think also, given the fact that and I, some of my friends have gotten on to me for saying this a little bit, but the fact that he and DK Metcalf went to the same college. I'm not saying AJ Brown's a better receiver, but I think people naturally make that comparison where DK gets all the attention. And, and Max is logged out. I guess he has no more to say. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's just connected there. That's all right. Keep going. All right, so, so I was um, I was talking about um, how AJ Brown kind of flies under the radar a little bit when he. And I'm not saying he's a better player than like a guy like Derrick Henry. He's a better receiver than DK Metcalf, but I mean he's consistent. He constantly makes big plays, and he's gotten six touchdowns in the past five games, and that that matters a lot. Consistency and making big plays and. I think that's really what it comes down to. And then, and like I said, a little bit concerned about 
the offense, but when you look at this from a team effort, this is really a solid win because they um in the areas that mattered most, they, they won the turnover battle 2-0, and the result was never in doubt till the, throughout the whole time, maybe in the first quarter, but after that, it was... And we, we knew the whole time the Titans were going to win. And and I, I can say after this game, I do think the Titans still have a legit chance at the Super Bowl because after watching this, it's pretty clear they never lost their identity. They're a resilient team, and they know how to win in multiple ways. And that's why I feel... I, I don't, I'm don't i not going to say I feel like great, great about after this, this win and about the team after this win, but I do feel a good bit better that the um, last week's slip-up was just a fluke. Totally, totally. Um, yeah, I just think A.J. Brown, again, as you said, totally not talked about enough. Um, him, him and D.K., probably the best two receivers out of that draft. In my opinion, I, they're both Easily. up there. I mean, uh, I think. incredible. So, um, that being said, going to the Falcons and the Broncos next, the Falcons wound up winning it 34-27. to uh, The Falcons moved to 3-6. and six. The Broncos moved to 3-5. and five. On the Falcon side of things, as I've said in the past, I think they're a lot better without Dan Quinn. I consistently see this team improve each week. Um, you know, they're not perfect. They're not going to become this great team overnight. Um, but I, I am liking the direction that this team is going post-Dan Quinn. Um, you know, offensively, Matt Ryan, three touchdowns, one interception. Uh, Todd Gurley's been pretty consistent across the board. You know, not not necessarily the Todd Gurley that we once knew. Um, he's been averaging like somewhere between like 60 to 100 yards a game and a touchdown, which has been pretty solid for them. Um, Julio with a touchdown. Um, you know, and they, they kind of dominated this game from from the get go. Uh, and then it was the Broncos who kind of battled battle late to to make it a one touchdown game. Um, and on the Broncos side of things, I have to say with the performance that I saw from Drew Locke yesterday, um, to me he is the future for this Denver Denver team. They don't need to look for another quarterback. Um, you know, especially like in the last couple minutes of, of the game. You know, with about four minutes left. He had a nine-yard pass to Tim Patrick for a touchdown. And then, you know, with about two minutes left, the Broncos get the ball back. Um, you see Drew Locke run it in for a 10-yard touchdown. He kind of just put the team on his back. I really like Drew Locke. I like his ability. I, I like the, the grit he has. I really see him being the future um, for the Broncos. I, I think he's one of those one of those quarterbacks that's going to be emerging over time. He not, may not be one of the most top, top two talents in the league, but absolutely serviceable. He's going to be a good quarterback for Denver moving forward. Um, and I was felt I felt really confident about him moving out of college. Um, I can't remember if I said on the podcast when he when he did come out. Um, that I was really I, I really liked hit, hit him as a prospect, and I really liked the pick for Denver. And it seems like it's, it's uh, paying out well for them. And then wide uh, receiver wise, uh, Jerry Judy, 125 yards, one touchdown. Jerry Judy to me was again, coming out of the draft was my favorite receiver coming out of this draft. His ability to route run. Um, his height, his ability to, to just be an all-around receiver, I think his route running obviously being his, his top trait. Um, he's a really talented receiver. Um, I think he's been outshadowed a little bit by CeeDee Lamb this year and how, how productive he's been in the Cowboys offense. Um, but out of the rookie wide receivers, you know, between Jerry Judy and um, CeeDee Lamb, they're just like the, top, the best receivers coming out of this particular draft. Um, and I still like Jerry Judy moving forward. I think that combination between Jerry Judy and Drew Locke uh, as, as the Broncos continue to get better, um, I think they're, it's going to be really uh, incredible sight to see. I think as they both develop, I think they're both going to get really good. Yeah, I do. I do agree. I think the Falcons are starting to look a little better under Raheem Morris now that Dan Quinn. I, I think it's one of those things where a shakeup was needed for them, and that sometimes changes the mood of the whole team. 
I think the biggest difference is they get it done in close games now, more so than they did in the past. And, um, I mean, that being said, I think their season's still done. I don't think they're coming back from the hole they've dug for, for themselves. But still, I mean, it looks... Things look a little better. It maybe it's a good omen for the future. And for Denver, I, I agree with what you said. I think... I didn't watch this game carefully, but just looking at... Just for pure... Pure statistical standpoint, Drew Locke had a good game, and I, I also saw some Jerry Judy highlights, and and people came. The reason I, I agree with you, I thought he was the best wide receiver coming out of the, out of the draft, and I did think it's because of his route running, and he showed it yesterday. He shows it every week, so and I think the future definitely bright. I, I will say, I think that um, I think that Locke's been a little inconsistent. I want to see more consistency out of him, but I, I do feel like this situation it's easy to give. It's easier to give him the give him the benefit of the doubt. Because he, the Broncos have been dealing with a lot of injuries, but I mean, if he can have games like that, then I think he'll be really good moving forward. Mm-hmm, totally agree. Um, with that being said, we have the Panthers and the Chiefs. Uh, the Chiefs win this one, thirty-three to thirty-one. Chiefs moved to eight and one. Panthers moved to three and six. Uh, definitely too close of a game for the Chiefs right here. They definitely would have liked to won this one by a little bit more, considering uh, the situation that the Panthers are at. Um, starting with the Panthers. Uh, you know, they're kind of the team that we consistently see. They're, they're right now they're in the middle of the team. They're they're in the middle of the road team right now, which may not be where they want to be, considering that they kind of fresh off a of rebuild. You know, moving on from Cam Newton. Um, so you know, three and six maybe not be the rest record for them. They kind of they may it may be advantageous to lose more games. Uh, so this wasn't a totally terrible outcome, uh, but it is really interesting to see. I think this Panthers team is really interesting um, with the fact that they did just pick up Teddy Bridgewater this year, right? Um, uh, and they're kind of moving on with with Matt Rule. Uh, the fact that they are so competitive with the with the roster that they have right now uh, against a team like the Chiefs, who are obviously eight and one, uh, pretty incredible to sight to see how quickly this Panthers team has turned around. And if they if they can get the right draft picks together and really get the talent on this team, uh, they could go really far under Matt Rule. Um, Christian McCaffrey came back this week, uh, a sixty nine yards, one touchdown. It's unfortunately, I think it's still up in the air right now. I think he went for an MRI this morning, if I'm not mistaken, on his shoulder. Possible shoulder injury that could, and his, apparently his status for next game is in doubt right now. So they do, ex- it is expected as of right now, I believe, uh, unless they've updated his medical situation for McCaffrey to be out next week. Uh, injury riddled year for a lot of players. Um, but Christian McCaffrey, Saquon Barkley, in my opinion, top two running backs in the league, both got the injury bug this year, and it's unfortunate. Um, and then receiving, obviously, Christian McCaffrey, 82 yards, one touchdown. Christian McCaffrey also he had 69 rushing yards, touchdown. So, you know, he was he was productive, but he could be injured again, obviously. Um, not, a, not a great sight for the Panthers to see. And then on the Chiefs side of things, um, obviously, the defense needs to pick it up a little bit uh, as a whole. And then offensively, Patrick Mahomes, 372 yards, four touchdowns, 130.5 QBR. Uh, the Patrick Mahomes we expect. Um, you know, rushing they didn't really produce anything. So that, that Panthers, that Panthers rush D was really great yesterday. Uh, held Hilaire to 14 yards, Le'Veon Bell to eight yards, and that was the. And then Tyreek Hill also had eight rushing yards, so they were able to hold that rushing game for the Chiefs really well. And that's that's where the Chiefs struggled offensively. Uh, receiving wise, I think they picked it up. That's what allowed them to win this game. You had Travis Kelsey 159 yards, Tyreek Hill 113 yards, two touchdowns. Demarcus Robinson, I think, has scored a receiving touchdown in the past like three games in a row. 34 yards, one touchdown. Edwards Hilaire had a uh, receiving touchdown. You know, sort of the Chiefs offense we expect minus the rushing game. Um, so obviously, that, that Panthers that Panthers run defense was was really something yesterday. Yeah, and for the 
The Panthers definitely closer in this game than most, if not all of us, anticipated. And they put up a good fight. They look to be well coached in, in, on, in the right direction. They're still raw. They're, they're still forming their identity. But I think games like this show that they will get there. They will get to where they need to be. Because I think it's really important that you kind of you hit the ground running in that year one. I mean, not everyone does that, but I think the Panthers are showing that they really do have fight and can compete. So I, I do think, you know, Panthers fans, you shouldn't be discouraged at all. I, it's going to be, you guys should have known it's going to be a rough year, and I don't think, you know, game, games like this, even if they go down as a loss on the scoreboard, it, it just, I think what's really more important is, you know, moving forward, how um, the, you think the team's going to be, and I think this team is going to be um, special moving forward. And, you know, for the Chiefs, kind of typical performance, you know, I the offense was shining again, I mean, even though the Panthers kind of neutralized them on the ground through the air, they were unstoppable. And you know that the defense you want them to perform better, but I think that, um, but I, I don't think I know they have shown that they can win a Super Bowl despite not a very strong defense. So I, if I'm a Chiefs fan, I'm not I'm not really that worried about this one. Yeah. Okay. Um. Yeah. Totally agree. Um. That 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 passing offense is really what is the staple of the Chiefs. And if you neutralize their run, run defense, it's only stopping one fifteenth of what the, the power that the Chiefs have. Um, that being said, we had the Jaguars and the Texans. The Texans win this one 27-25. Uh, Texans move to 2-6. and six. Jaguars move to 1-7. and Not because uh, both teams are in a bad spot right now, obviously. Texans still trying to find themselves after moving on from Bill O'Brien. Um, you know, not much production out of anyone. Sean Watson, you know, 281 yards, two touchdowns, not a bad game, but uh, Sean Watson has taken a step back this year, especially with the amount of talent they have. Uh, you, you remove the Andre Hopkins, you remove the Hey Hoach. Um, there's not much that Sean Watson could do with this roster, but obviously, in my opinion, he's still a top five quarterback in the league. Um, and then receiving wise, Will Fuller, 100 yards and a touchdown, um, which is pretty solid. Brandon Cooks, 83 yards and a touchdown. And I think they have a decent wide receiver core. It's just that they don't, you know, DeAndre Hopkins really led them. And their offensive line has been pretty abysmal outside of Larry Tunsil. Larry, uh, I always think with his name, Tunsil. I'm going to go with Tunsil. <laughs> uh, so it's not much the Texas could do with that sort of rostered situation that they're in. And the Jaguar side of things, uh, Minshew was out again. Uh, I believe he has some sort of issue with his thumb. You know, like some I, thought got, tearing. I thought he got benched. I think he has ligament tearing in okay. his thumb. Um, either way, he was not performing well this season. Um, it does seem like the Jaguars are in position to select a quarterback going from here. I'll have to see if they do trust Minshew. I, I personally think Minshew's solid, but um, if he's not performing and, you know, where they drafted him, it, it, it definitely opens up the possibility for them going for another quarterback relatively early. Um, so Jake Luton, which I've never heard of him before, um, took over this week. Uh, 304 yards passing, um, which which is not bad by any stretch. One touchdown, one interception. Uh, James Robinson had 99 yards on the ground, one touchdown. DJ Chark, who had a pretty excellent game right here, 146 yards and a touchdown. Um, he's really the highlight of the Jaguars there. So, honestly, both teams are pretty bad. As this game doesn't say much to me. Yeah, I mean, the Texans are still, I mean, they have decent talent, but I think they're just still trying to find themselves, you know, they're definitely a little better, better without Bill O'Brien. I think he definitely weighed down um, that team's ability over there in Houston. But I, it is still a team that's been ruined by their, 
um, their own doing, their own moves that just made no sense to begin with. And also, I think the the fact that they hired from within just, I mean, I kind of, I wouldn't say it adds to how bad they are because it certainly doesn't. But I think it shows a little bit that they they haven't fully gotten over um, the the bad culture Bill O'Brien left. I think they need a completely fresh start. I mean, they're a team like that. They're not they're not very deep, and I don't think they have nearly enough to make up for. And they don't have the coaching to make up for it. I think that's what we've seen this year. And for the Jaguars, it's just the same story. They're just. They're going more and more. They become the team we thought they're going to be. They're one and seven at this point. Even though they had a decent offensive performance yesterday, it's still not. They're still not a good team. And I think honestly, at this point, if there's any discuss, I don't know why there'd be any discussion about whether or not they're going to select a quarterback. Maybe I could have seen it maybe through the first four weeks, but at this point, I just don't understand why. I mean, even if even if you you like Gardner Minshew, the reality is like he's shown flashes here and there, but he's never really shown. And be that guy. And if you got a draft with Trevor Lawrence, Trey Lance, Justin Fields, you're not passing up one of those guys because you think that what you have might work out. No, you're going for the guy that you think will work out and the guy that actually has potential. Mm-hmm. I totally agree with that statement in terms of on the back end there about the prospects that we have moving forward between Justin Fields, Trey Lance. Um, I, right now, it seems like the Jets are in position to get their first overall pick, and if they do, they're probably going to have to go Trevor Lawrence, right? Um, to have Justin Fields and Trey Lance on the board when the Jaguars get their pick. And the way that I think both Justin Fields and Trey Lance have progressed this year um, has been pretty incredible. Like uh, Justin Fields, I thought, was a third-rounder coming out of last year, but he's performed very well. I was seeing him, I think, almost a lock at this point for a first-round draft pick. And it comes a question of, uh, you know, will the Jaguars be in position to draft teams like right now they will be? As you said, you can't really pass up on either of those guys if you have the opportunity with this quarterback situation that they have right now. Yeah, there, there's no way you can... It, what, I mean, if you... It just doesn't make any sense. Like, you're going to, like I said, keep your guy who may work out versus a guy versus a couple guys who are almost guaranteed studs. It makes it just makes no sense. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Um, with that being said, with the Lions and the Vikings, Vikings win this one 34-20. Vikings move to five lines, move, also move to three and five. Um, Vikings having a big bounce back with their season. So, you know, started really rough at first. And it's unfortunately better. Um, Kirk Cousins with touchdowns here in 220 yards. Seven game from him. Uh, I think the story of the game here, as well as the Vikings, is Dalvin Cook. Uh, another game, back-to-back weeks with explosive games. 260 yards on the ground. Two touchdowns. Um, you know, Great game for Dalvin Cook. He, he's he's just an incredible running back. And I think he, you know, how many injuries there are this year. Uh, he, for me, is easily top three running back in this year, not necessarily in the NFL, but maybe like top five NFL, but like top three, maybe even top two with how well he's performed, um, especially with his past two games. Really incredible stuff out of Dalvin Cook. Um, you know, on the Lions side of things, they've been pretty abysmal around Matt Stafford, one touchdown, two interceptions. Um, not much in the, in the rushing game. Um, they're just such a mediocre team, can never put it together. The only highlight I can think of for them it's probably T.J. Hawkinson with 39 yards and one touchdown. Um, he's been he's become such a consistent uh, tight end for them, and I think like he, he, you know he's young, he's consistent. He's just one of those guys. You know, I have him on my fantasy team. And it's definitely why I have a little bias there. Um, you know, he, and it's like it's really the only consistent part of this Lions offense, in my opinion. Yeah, I think the Vikings are definitely showing the very team that. They look to be in a bad spot now, but they could potentially make a 
push. I mean, they, they kind of dug a hole for themselves. Like, like I keep saying every week, if there's anything that's going to climb out of where they're from, I think it's going to be them. I do think they are every bit as talented, if not better, than the Rams who are currently holding the seventh place spot. And I don't, I definitely, they could easily beat the Bears and the 49ers for that um, final spot. And, and on the back of a guy like Dalvin Cook's performance, who I, well, I agree that definitely this year has performed like a top three running back, especially in the past few weeks. And you know, it's looked, I mean, it's looked really good for him. And then for the Lions, I think this is about the year staying the course when they shouldn't. It, it clearly shows that they're not on the right path, and in games like this just prove me right. I mean, if you're a Lions fan, you have to be fed up with your football team at this point. I mean, how many years in a row can they do the same stuff where they're either not competitive or how many times have we seen the Lions, I think, in the past decade start off the season 3, 4, 5, and 0 at some points and then absolutely fall apart down the stretch? Um, not this year, obviously. They, they, they're they pretty much bad from the get-go. Um, but just the inconsistency, the inability to win from the franchise as a whole has been very disappointing if you're a Detroit Lions fan. Um Many would say that's why Barry's tired early. Uh, you know, it's, Calvin it's just Johnson tough. too. Also, yes, Calvin Johnson. Um, it seems like this franchise is either cursed or just poorly managed. Combination of both. It's just tough. And as you said, uh, Patricia, I think it's time for him to go and they need to move on. Um, you know, probably get rid of Matt Stafford. Look for a rebuild. You know, keep. I think you keep players like any Kenny Galladay. You keep DJ Hawkinson. You keep Swift, obviously. Um, Defensively, you don't have much left there. Uh, besides, uh, why am I blanking on his name? It's cornerback they drafted this year. Help me out. Okuda. Thank you, Okuda. <laughs> um, you know, you keep you keep those type of guys, and you try to move on from the rest. Yeah. You just try to reset yourself. I think it's the best move for this, the Lions here. Um, you know, they can continue to get competitive, but me and you both know. I think everybody listening would know the Lions are not going to make the playoffs this year. They're not going to become competitive with the roster they have now. There's no point for them to keep continue trying to make this work. Um, they couldn't make it work when they had the Matt Stafford and Calvin Johnson connection and Calvin Johnson by all measurables. You know, obviously he retired early, as we just mentioned. Was probably the best receiver we've ever seen in the NFL in terms of his his route running ability, his size, his speed. Uh, we've never seen a receiver quite like Calvin Johnson, and the fact that they couldn't win anything significant with somebody like Calvin Johnson on their roster is tough. Yeah, like I, I've said this before, it just feels like this organization is trying to groom the Patriots by signing a bunch of their former players and even their former assistant, which is that's not what made the Patriots work. What made them work was Brady and Belichick. So, yeah, they just need to move on from whatever they're trying to accomplish because it is not working. Exactly. So, moving on from there, we had the Bills and the Seahawks. The Bills win this one 44 34. Uh, Bills move to seven and two. Seahawks fall to six and two. Uh, you know, honestly, going into this game, I, I picked the Seahawks. Uh, obviously, I didn't like put out the official thing, but I, mentally, I picked the Seahawks. They're kind of my team this year. Obviously, I have Russell Wilson on my fantasy team, um, but I just like the Seahawks in general. I think they're somewhat similar to what we saw last year in terms of the Chiefs, where their defense may not be as good, uh, but their offense is pretty incredible. Um, behind Russell Wilson. But this Bills team, you know, bouncing back big. Uh, you know, they, they start off the year really hot. They kind of slowed down. And I think they've consistently picked it up more and more. Josh Allen, 415 yards, three touchdowns, 145 QBR. 
Josh Allen is just an incredible talent. And again, I said this, I think, in the past couple weeks. I think Josh Allen, by when we're, everything's all said and done, he's going to be the best quarterback out of that draft. Um, and, he, and the rate it's looking right now, with the regression, sort of, you know, slight regression that we've seen from Lamar Jackson and the improvement that we see from Josh Allen, if, if this course was to keep pace, I think Josh Allen could be imperially said as the best quarterback to come out of that draft. Um, with this Bills team just looking so good. I, in my opinion, I, I think that was, they have to be considered for favorites to win the Super Bowl at this point. Um, you beat a team like that's been hot, as hot as the Seahawks have been this year. Uh, pretty incredible game. Um, you know, again, Josh Allen, great. Stephon Diggs, 118 yards. Uh, that Stephon Diggs trade has proven to be really good for the Bills. He's really given Josh Allen a talent, and he's helped transform this offense. Um, John Brown has been a really good number two for them, uh, 99 yards. Uh, you know, it's a lot of good stuff across the board for the Bills. And then the Seahawks, you know, I don't think, obviously, the offense was not their problem, 34 points, That's but uh, their defense has really, really struggled across the board. Um, Russell Wilson, not the greatest game. Uh, two touchdowns, two interceptions, 390 yards. Um, that Bills defense is, has really improved, I think, over the past couple weeks. Um, although, again, I don't think it was the Seahawks offense here, obviously. Um, DJ Dallas had a touchdown. He came back half 108 yards and a touchdown. Uh, really, it was just that, that Seahawks defense has been pretty, pretty abysmal. Um, you know, they were able to get to the quarterback slightly in this game. You know, They had one and a half sacks from Jamal Adams, one sack from K.J. Wright, sack from Bobby Wagner. Uh, sack from Gunlap and two and a half sacks from Reed. Um, but, you know, that defensively, they just fell apart. It's really tough. Yeah, I the one word I use this to describe those win for the Bills is a statement win. Like I was with you going into this game, I picked the Seahawks to win. I I thought you know Russell Wilson was looking like an MVP candidate, probably the likely favorite, and you know the Bills had as. Well, as they performed in the first four weeks of the year, I thought they were, they were falling off, and I thought hey, they're probably not good enough to beat um, Russell Wilson, especially when they had lost at home to the Chiefs. But they came in, and they just they absolutely came on fire. Josh Allen just did what he'd been doing in the first couple weeks of the season and just put up monstrous stats. And I think for the Seahawks, I think we're at the point of the season where their defense is actually becoming a concern because it's costing games. Um, because they are now one and two in the in the past few in the past three games, in which they've given up an average of about a little over forty points, I believe. And I, I feel like I'm not going to say this organization is like a crossroads. They're going to make the playoffs. They're going to win their division easy. But it's one of those things where they might want to have take the time to you know figure out figure something out on defense. Because I I feel like with that they they probably won't win. They probably won't win the Super Bowl with that effort and. It kind of happened to the Titans. They were had two losses, two weeks of really, really bad defense. They figured it out. But except in the Seahawks' case, it's past the trade deadline. So what can really can they do? I mean, they they can definitely. I think there's still a really good chance to make the Super Bowl. But can they get it done? Especially when a team when a team with Patrick Mahomes stands in their way. I mean, I totally agree with you. You kind of said it better than I did. Uh, a statement win right there. Uh, really did win for the Bills. And on the defensive side for the Seahawks. Absolutely right. It, it is becoming a liability at this point where you've seen them lose multiple games strictly due to their defense. Um, and I agree with you. It's definitely a concern. Um, you know, with a team like the Chiefs last year, I thought their defense was competent enough throughout the entire year where I never really worried about it. I always figured their offense could carry them. Uh, but with the Seahawks this year, I, I don't necessarily see the same thing. I think their offense is comparable, but I don't think I think that defense is less competent. And in reality, it shouldn't be, right? You have a ton of talent on that defense. I was going to say... Bobby yeah, Wagner, be, Jamal Adams, 
it really just comes down to the pass rush because behind beyond Jaron Reed, you haven't really seen much of a pass rush out of the Seahawks. Who's in their secondary? Yeah, I have Griffin, uh, Shaquille Griffin, I think. Um, obviously, Jamal Adams, Bobby Wagner, KJ Wright. Uh, it's not necessarily secondary, but you know they run a lot of linebacker packages. Uh, but you know when you name some of those guys, you, you don't you don't think of an incompetent group that can't get anything done. Right. You, know, you think you think whatever else pieces they put around there it should be a solid defense. So I honestly don't know what the issue is. Whether it's scheming, whether it's team play, maybe is, is the secondary that bad? And maybe that's where taking like, a they can't sort keep of up the pace. I, I really don't know what the point it is. Yeah, I guess that's where it maybe taking yeah, a week or I, I don't know. Um, but either way, okay. Either I'm just gonna. Think. I was going to say, I guess that's where taking a week or so to you know, figure things out would really be beneficial for this team because they do have talent. I don't know why they're giving up that many points a game. Mm-hmm. I totally agree. Um, with that being said, we had the Raiders and the Chargers. Uh, Raiders win this one 31 26 to 5 3. Chargers moved to 2 6. Uh, this Chargers team, which didn't sound out too hot, uh, had really picked it up when Justin Herbert took over. It's kind of falling apart, uh, I think, across the season. Uh, but not, not totally terrible news for the Chargers, right? We've seen Justin Herbert, again, be consistent week to week. 326 yards, two touchdowns, 113.8 QBR for Justin Herbert. Um, you can't ask much more out of a rookie quarterback, in my opinion. I think he's been the best rookie quarterback out of his draft so far. Um, and behind Justin Herbert, if they can put the pieces around him, you know, even though they suffered a lot of losses this year, um, you know, you, you're going to have a really good team here. Uh, Justin Herbert, again, looks like the best quarterback out of this draft so far. We'll have to see in a couple of years if that stays consistent, but just looking so good. Uh, a lot of promise here for the Chargers. And Keenan now with 103 yards and a touchdown. Uh, pretty solid for the Chargers. And then on the Raiders side of things, Derek Carr, two touchdowns, 115 point, 115 QBR, 165 yards, not great in the yardage. Josh Jacobs, 65 yards, one touchdown. Um, pretty, pretty solid one for the Raiders. I think, again, the Raiders are in that middle ground where it's, are they going to make the playoffs? Maybe. Are they going to win anything? Probably not. So it really puts them in a tough situation. Um, and then Josh Jacobs, who was incredible last year, has, has really not had the same type of season that he did last year, unfortunately, uh, which stinks because I drafted him in my first round in fantasy, even though I'm in first place in fantasy. But um, I know, it's, it's, it's been tough. See, you know, Josh Jacobs really hasn't had the yards per carry that he had last year. hasn't been as efficient. Um, and I don't know. I, I feel like both teams, you know, the Chargers have a lot of promise to look forward to. No matter what record they finish with, it's still positive with how well Justin Herbert's played. And then on the Raiders' side of things, they're going to be stuck in that middle ground if they continue to play like this. I will say for the Chargers, we've seen so many weeks of now of them being really, really close in these games and falling apart. And especially yesterday, where they looked like they completed a pass for the game-winning touchdown. They were celebrating, but then it turned out to be incomplete. And now I'm, I'm starting to think, are you going to call this team's head coaching into question? Because... No matter what happens, they just don't seem to be able to win these games. And I don't think it's a problem with Herbert because, number one, he's a young QB. He, he, you have to you know, take time to learn how to win. And then, number two, we've seen this happen to the Chargers year in and year out. Like, I don't know why this is happening. I think they, I think to maybe for them to realize their potential, it might, they might need to fire their head coach and go elsewhere because it just... They keep coming up short in these games where if you go by averages, they should win at least two of them. Mm-hmm. Um, I agree. Uh, with that being said, going on to the Cardinals and Dolphins. Dolphins win it 34-31. to 
Dolphins are five and three. Cardinals are five and three. Uh, I think it's similar to the uh, Bills the Seahawks game. To me, for the Dolphins, this is sort of a statement win. Uh, the Cardinals have been the greatest season, greatest team this year so far. But I think with the amount of talent that the Dolphins have, I think the fact that they're five and three is, is pretty incredible. Um, you know, running wise, they hardly had any any. You know, the leading rusher was was almost Tua. Uh, Tua had 248 yards, two touchdowns, 132.1 QBR. Uh, you know, Tua now 2-0 and as a starter. Has performed well in both games. Really promising there for Miami. Again, I think they have a lot of young talent on this team. But to say that they're a complete team is far from the truth. Um, Brian Flores, I think, is really the, the answer there for head coaching-wise. Um, you know, big statement. They, they fought all the way through. This is a pretty close game throughout the entire game. Um, you know, so the Dolphins go up 24-17. to The Cardinals took it over 14 points in a row. Uh, but then Dolphins put up 10 unanswered uh, and then put up a field goal late to win the game. Uh, you know, pretty incredible game out of the Dolphins, I think, as a, as a, as a whole team. A big statement win for them. On the Cardinals side of things, um, they started up the season pretty hot and they've kind of fell off a little bit. But I don't think, again, I think this Cardinals team is still in the process of getting better. Um, so it's not too much to worry. I figured they were going to be a solid team this year, and they are. Uh, Kyler Murray, three touchdowns, zero interceptions, 283 yards, 150.7.2 QBR. Uh, he was also the leading rusher, eight, over 100 yards rushing, 106 rushing yards in the touchdown. Uh, so Kyler Murray was pretty incredible uh, this past game, you know, this game. Uh, pretty much put the team on his back. And then Christian Kirk was the lead receiver, 123 yards, one touchdown. Uh, pretty solid game for him. Uh, you know, I think, again, I think this is really a statement game for Miami that they can win close games against solid teams. With the roster that they have now and the, and the leadership, I, I just really like the situation in Miami right now. Yeah, I think this win says more about the Dolphins than it does the Cardinals. And like you said, this is a definition of a statement win. Going on the road and being beating Cardinals team who, who I, I keep saying is talented, and they've won some big games. They are a team that's also shown they kind of know when to when it, when when it matters. They beat the 49ers in week one on the road when, they, when the 49ers were healthy. And they beat the Seahawks two weeks ago in a big game when they came up at the last minute. And then and now the Dolphins win. It just, we thought about the Dolphins, you know, potentially make the playoffs. Now they're in contention to potentially win their division. They just keep getting better and better and better. And I don't really I mean, know what to say. The talent, I mean, they have decent talent, but I think this goes, this shows way more about their fight and how they prepare every week. And it's amazing how things have turned around so quickly from last year when they looked all but dead. Mm-hmm. I think it's crazy that the AFC East has seen such a turnaround um, from the Bills and the, and the Dolphins, where you saw it, you know, for the past 20 years, roughly, the Patriots have just dominated that division week after week. And it's just, it's kind of crazy how quickly things turn to, to, to not in their favor. Um, Jets are obviously awful. Uh, Patriots have not performed well this year, but again, the, the between the Dolphins and the Bills, teams that have been competitive for, I don't know how many years now, over 20 years are really competitive and both have a chance to win the division. Um, you know, p- pretty incredible stuff there. Um, definitely a change in the NFL that I think was well needed for a while. Uh, so moving on from there with the Steelers and the Cowboys, Steelers won this one 24 to 19 Steelers moved eight and no, uh, Dolphins are now two, uh, Cowboys rather are now two and seven. Uh, honestly, I think the Steelers kind of played down to what the, the Cowboys were, you know, the Steelers did not play to the best of their ability. Um, you know, Ben Roethlisberger had a solid game, 306 yards, three touchdowns, or interceptions, 120.9 QBR. Uh, you know, I think the Cowboys, their rushing, their run defense was really solid yesterday. 
Uh, I think they they held the Cowboys to about uh, sorry, sorry yeah they held the Steelers to about fifty yards rushing. Um, and the receiving, you had a good spread between all the wide receivers. Claypool with 69 yards, Schuster with 93 and a touchdown, Dante Johnson with 77. So a good spread between all the receivers. Um, on the Cowboys side of things, I wasn't even sure, honestly, who the starter was going into the game yesterday. I kind of learned it as, as the game started. I thought it was going to be Cooper Rush, um, but apparently it was Garrett Gilbert. Um, so Garrett Gilbert, 243 yards, one touchdown, one interception. Not bad in, in, in his first game as, as a starter for the Cowboys. Um, you know, nineteen to twenty-four against the best team I think in the league right now in terms of their record as well as how well they've played. Um, not bad at all. Uh, and then offensively, Mike Cooper sixty-seven yards on touchdown, Ceedee Lamb seventy-one yards on a touchdown. So uh, decent spread there as well. Uh, nothing incredible I think to mention this game other than it was kind of a gritty game. Uh, you know, we saw the Cowboys jump out to an early lead. Uh, you know, they were up thirteen to nine and a half. Cowboys come out, put up six uh, in the third quarter. So you now you're at. Uh, 19 to nine. You know, looking like the Cowboys might win. Steelers come back late in the fourth quarter and really put up a fight. Um, you know, it was, it was kind of a good win for the Steelers, but a bad one at the same time because they were able to put that fight up at the end. But uh, this Cowboys team is pretty bad, so they need to do better than that in the future. Um, you know, in the fourth quarter, you had the Steelers with about 15 minutes left at the beginning of the first quarter. You had Juju with a touchdown, field goal in the seventh minutes left, and then there about two minutes left. You had a touchdown from Eric Ebron to win the game. Um, again, Steelers best team in the league to kind of play down to the Cowboys here. I had a feeling that this was going to be a potential trap game because I've seen in the past how um, Mike Tomlin-led Steelers teams have um, kind of played down to that um, comp- their competition. I kind of expected yesterday, and they did just that. They weren't winning this game for a while. The Cowboys were. And, you know, they should... I mean, if they played how they really could have, I think they would have won this game by so many points. But, you know, I will say they... They, I still definitely think I wouldn't be worried if I'm a Steelers fan because they, the fight at the, the end, like you said, they showed they knew how to get it done when it mattered. And I mean, just and they already know that the first. I think this, they, I heard this is the first time they're eight known their franchise history and their team around them. I think they have every reason to feel confident. So I mean, I really wouldn't worry about this too much for the Steelers. Um, for the Cowboys, I mean, just a good try for them being in this game, but just I mean, they're done. There's no. I think there's no way around it at this point. Yeah, I don't see them being a playoff team with how many injuries. I mean, with the injury to Dak Prescott, rather, in their quarterback situation, is being a mess. Uh, with that being said, we have the Saints and the Buccaneers, and this game was was really incredible. Honestly, Saints win this one thirty eight to three in the worst game that I've ever seen Tom Brady have in the NFL. Tom Brady two hundred nine yards, but three interceptions, forty four point five QBR. I've never seen Tom Brady make that many mistakes. Um, I think partially was the fault. I, and number one interception in particular was Antonio Brown's fault, who got off suspension this week. Didn't really understand the play. Uh, I, I think Antonio Brown ran a stop and go, and I think Tom Brady thought, or, or I guess what Antonio Brown was thought was a stop and go route, where if you guys want to stop and go, essentially you run about five ten yards, depending on what the what the offensive scheme is. You stop like you're going to run a little hitch or a post route or a hitch route rather. And then you go on a streak, and Tom Brady thought it was a straight streak. The safety comes over and picks it. Um, just a, a abysmal mess for the Buccaneers. I've, I've one of the worst performances I've seen in quite some time um, across the board for the entire team. And the Saints side of things, uh, really incredible game for them. Obviously, 222 yards from Drew Brees with four touchdowns. Um, Alvin Kamara had 40 yards rushing, one touchdown. 
And then on the receiving side of things, Alvin Kamara only had nine yards. You know, not much in terms of, I think, offensively, the Saints were solid, but I think their defense was really more incredible. Um, I remember there was this one drive where I think I saw Marshawn Lattimore go one-on-one with uh, Mike Evans, I think like two or three plays in a row in the red zone, and he, he held him down, um, which was a really big win for their defense as well as Marshawn Lattimore. So just a complete blowout by the Saints here. I, I honestly don't know what happened to the Buccaneers, but not a good look for them. Yeah, it's not a good look. I mean, you, you're, you're allowed a bad game every once in a while, but I feel like whenever it happens against a a good team like the Saints, I feel like it gets, it, it looks worse. I mean, maybe it, it looks worse than it is, but nonetheless, it was just a terrible game for the Bucks. I, I was actually in, in the middle of something like in the beginning of the game, but I turn it on. I see it's twenty eight nothing. I can't believe what's going on. I just, I just couldn't, I couldn't believe what was happening. And then, but if you really look at this from a big picture standpoint, you know, you and I last week were talking about how you, you really had questions about the Saints move, moving forward. We really didn't know what to expect because they've been winning these games kind of you know ugly and not they they've been strong throughout but with a win like this I think it's not one of those statement wins it proving they really are as good as as people um, think they can be is I think the return of Michael Thomas as having a shape is going to help with that so so this I'm saying the Saints team might might be better than we think they are well, I totally agree and now you have the Saints too the Bucks at six and three. It's kind of a question mark of who's going to win the division now. Where we thought the Buccaneers kind of had it in the bag with the Saints' questionable wins, but I think this obviously Saints take the lead in the division. Um, it kind of opens up everything. Um, you know, it's really interesting stuff here. Um, that being said, the last game we had hasn't been played yet. It's going to be the Jets and the Patriots. Um, I think this is one of the easiest picks all years. Even though the Patriots are two and five, they're still coached by Bill Belichick. They're still not as anywhere near as incompetent as the Jets. The Jets are not going to win this game. I expect the Patriots by uh, a lot of points here. Yeah, I'm going to say the Patriots 21 to 10. I, th- I mean, I think, I mean, the Patriots are not as good as we've seen. Obviously, as obviously they've been in the past. I think they're still going to struggle on offense, but a Bill Belichick team is not losing to the Jets, in my opinion. I think they're going to win it. Um, fairly decisively in the end. Brian, anything you want to say? I totally agree with both of your uh, predictions. <laughs> okay. Um, that being the end of the NFL section, we're going to go into baseball. Um, so not as much to talk about as we had last week. Obviously, the Dodgers won the World Series, so we had that to talk about. Um, but some interesting stuff. Um, Rob Manfred said that there's going to be no punishment for Justin Turner um, after the COVID situation, in my opinion. Uh I get where he's coming from. Basically, what he said, he he's happy Justin Turner apologized and took on all responsibility as he should. Um, but he said, with it being basically what he's getting at, with it being the World Series, it was kind of like a crazy situation. No real thought went into it, and it should. There's really no punishment that he could give. If I had to say, I feel like that. It's probably not the best. I think he's there has to be some punishment for what Justin Turner did. I get it's the World Series. I get you're very excited. But we've seen during the regular season players be punished for not following COVID regulations. And Justin Turner did probably one of the worst things because he had COVID and was around his team celebrating. And I get it's the World Series. But there's a point where you have to have some... There has to be some punishment that they could have given Justin Turner, even a fine, if anything. But nothing was given to him. 
Um, I see both sides of the story, but in my opinion, there had to be something that was thrown down Justin Turner because it was just complete irresponsibility. Um, next thing I want to talk about, the Francisco Lindor rumors. So Francisco Lindor, obviously a talented player for the Cleveland Indians. The Cleveland Indians have said they want to trade him by opening day. There's been rumors for the past couple of years, um, mainly this past year, that the Indians want to move on from Francisco Lindor, not because Francisco Lindor isn't an amazing talent, but simply because the Indians feel like they need to start rebuilding um, or just kind of move on from Francisco Lindor. He has one year left on their contract, um, and they don't see him. Uh, they don't see him resigning with the Indians or them paying money to resign him because they want to. I mean, it, it makes sense when you have a certain star on your team and he's really your main star. How far are you really going to get because of one player? Um, so they want to kind of spread the wealth and get better players all around. So that makes sense. Um, but that opens up a lot to talk about in terms of what team, which teams I think should go after Francisco Lindor. Um, teams that come to mind, obviously the Mets, which I'm going to talk about more. Um, the Yankees are always in the hunt um, to get talented players. So are the Dodgers. Um, I've seen things about the Giants. Um, so those teams I all think are in the hunt for him. The Giants I am a little confused about because the Giants have not been, were not good last year and I don't think are going to be good for a couple years. Um, so that is interesting, but also you have to look at what teams can pay Francisco Lindor and are willing to get rid of a large chunk of prospects, younger players, and have the money to sign him to a huge contract, similar to the Mookie Betts contract that the Dodgers gave to him. So if you think about that, you have the Dodgers, Mets, which is crazy to consider the Mets in a team that has money, but Steve Cohen is their new owner. Um, and... I said the Dodgers, the Mets, the Yankees all are willing to spend money, crazy amounts of money on players because they are now all big market teams. Um, in terms of the Yankees, you that them going after Francisco Lindor kind of goes to the fact is what they're going to do during free agency. Are they going to try and sign DJ LeMahieu again, which I think they should, um, which kind of takes them out of the running for Francisco Lindor because what's the point of having Francisco Lindor and DJ LeMahieu on your team? Um so, with that being said, I think it's the Mets and the Dodgers, um, and I really hope he goes to the Mets, and that's where I'm going to take it from here. In terms of the Mets, what they could end up trading for him, what they've said they want is uh, young players um, and prospects. So, for the Mets, the Indians also said they want a shortstop or an outfielder. So, for the Mets, you have players like Ahmed Rosario, Andres Jimenez, and obviously those two players or one of those players has to be combined with someone else because that is simply not enough talent for Francisco Lindor. So what you have less left is players like J.D. Davis, Dom Smith, Pete Alonso, um, and then some prospects. Uh, Ryan Mauricio comes to mind and other prospects that they have. So with that being said, who do I think they should trade for Francisco Lindor? Uh, in my opinion, I think the best option would be trading Ahmed Rosario, who I think may be good in the future, but he just really hasn't shown me anything to have any faith that he's going to turn into anything great. Um, plus Dom Smith and Ronnie Mauricio, I'd say, um, who's another, as I said, is a prospect, but it's another young infielder for the Mets. And in terms of, it's really come down to between Dom Smith and Pete Alonso. 
I don't think Steve Cohen's first splash move is going to be getting rid of Pete Alonso. I don't think that would be good for the fans that he's trying to make happy by making a splash move. And Pete Alonso didn't have a good year last season. Dom Smith had an amazing year. But I think more fans are uh, connected to Pete Alonso than they are Dom Smith. Obviously, Dom Smith is an also a fan favorite, but I think Pete Alonso is more of a fan favorite. And... I don't. I really don't see his first trade being trading away Pete Alonso. Um, off of that, another reason why the Mets and the Indians are perfect trade partners. Steve Cohen is one of the only owners, probably the only owners that wasn't affected by COVID, because of course he just became the Mets owner, um, and he has the money to spend on a contract to sign Francisco Lindor for a long time um, after this trade, which is really what it comes down to: teams being willing to sign. Francisco Lindor for a while after. Um, yeah, so that's basically all I have to say about Francisco Lindor. Could be really exciting if the Mets end up getting him, um, which would be another addition. So off of that, I want to talk about uh, another piece of Mets news. Brody Van Wagenen was fired from his GM spot with the Mets. And obviously when a new owner comes in, you usually the owner wants a new regime. So... He got with Brody Van Wagenen, Omar Manaya, other high executives, and it's really now him and uh, Sandy Alderson. Sandy Alderson coming back from his cancer treatments, fighting that off. Um, it's very exciting to have Sandy Alderson back. I think he's one of the more talented GMs the Mets have had in terms of him being able to make trades without any money to really spend and getting good talent. And I think now that he has money to spend, it will be interesting. Um, he's never really had a lot of money to spend through his career as a GM. Um, he was with the Padres, Athletics, obviously really famous for being with the Athletics and doing what he did with them, and then the Mets. All those teams really had no money to spend, and he was became a well-known owner, I mean a well-known GM with teams that didn't have money to spend, and now he has the money to spend. So it would be interesting to see how he deals with that. It could go either ways. He, he could be really good with them with having so much money. It could be really bad because he just doesn't know what to use with all those resources. But if I had to pick one, I think he'll be good with all that money. It'll be very exciting. Um, yeah, so right now, Sandy Alderson is their president. Um, I expect them to find another GM soon, but Sandy Alderson can definitely serve as a GM um, for them for the time being. Um, with that being said, I have nothing more for baseball. So we're going to go on to basketball. Um, not a lot of news here. Just, I guess it could be considered key news. They are expected to start the NBA season December 22nd. It's a tentative agreement. Um, most people think that's going to happen. It's going to be a 72-game season. We talked last week about the financial implications of starting after the new year. Um, they would be losing a lot of money if they had to start in January because um, either they'd have to figure out a way to end before the Olympics or lose money during the Olympics. And with the 72-game season starting December 22nd, um, they would basically be finishing mid-July or just before mid-July, which is just in time for the Summer Olympics to happen. And that gets rid of the worry that they're going to lose, I think it was like $1 billion if they didn't start before the new year, um, which is one of their key things that they didn't want to happen because obviously $1 billion is a lot of money. Um, but with that 
December 22nd start, there's a lot of implications that come with that. Um, the first implication that I said is a good implication. They won't be losing as much money. But the other implication is older players, older veterans, not being ready to kind of right, go right back into basketball really soon. I mean, LeBron James is someone that comes to mind. He just won the championship for the Lakers. Is he really going to be able to probably pick up a basketball or I'm sure he's picked up a basketball, but really start working out again in, I don't know, two, three weeks to get ready for the new NBA season. I don't know about that. And Danny Green had an interview where he said, if that's what happens, he doesn't really expect LeBron James to be there for the first couple of weeks. Maybe he'll be with the team, but he doesn't expect him to play. I don't, I don't really trust that, but um, I think LeBron James would play, but that's something to keep in mind. There's these veterans that aren't, this is a quick turnaround, the quickest turnaround ever for a basketball season. Um, there's a lot of implications that come with that, players that aren't going to be wanting to play. And with that, I mean, there could be revenue losses. I don't think it'll be anywhere close to a billion dollars, but there'll be stars that might not want to play. Um, Nick, anything you have to say about that? Oh, yeah, I definitely agree. I already saw LeBron James complaining about it. Um, you know, not having proper amount of time off. I think the the see the off season comes out to like seventy two days, mm. which I mean, when you look at it empirically, can they really complain? They're they're top athletes in the world. Right. We're getting paid excessive amounts of money, and I think any other person would love to have seventy two days off from their job a year. That's very good. Um, when you think about it, but at the same time, right, they are putting their bodies through a lot. Um, and they they have become accustomed to having a certain amount of time in the off season to get their bodies right. Um, so it should be interesting to see. I hope you know. I hope we don't see a season where players are not ready to go, and we see injuries come really early, like we did maybe with the NFL. Um, you know, at the beginning of the season, we saw a lot of injuries. Hopefully, we don't see a season like that. Um, and on top of that, in terms of additional news, we do have uh, not this upcoming week, but the week after, uh, November eighteenth, is going to be the NBA draft. Um, I'm going to try and put draft together, so we we have that for the next podcast. Should be. Uh, should be interesting to see what I choose to put where. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, yeah, the draft's right around the corner. And once I drop those players, November 18th to December 22nd, I have a little bit over a month to become NBA ready and, right. and get ready to play. Yeah. Should be interesting. A lot of uh, effects of starting December 22nd. Um, with that being said, that's all for the basketball section. So I think there's a little bit of hockey news to talk about. Yeah, the only thing um, hockey-related I want to talk about this week is the um, the Detroit Red Wings signing forward Anthony Mantha to a four-year contract at, a, at an annual average value of $5.7 million per year. Um, I think this is a really, really great contract for the Red Wings. I think it's a bargain for them. When you look at Mantha, the player he is, I think he can do um, many different things. He's got a good shot. Uh, he, he can really make plays and transition well. He, that's where he gets a lot of his goals. Um, he can be a good net front presence as well. And... His point per year totals have only increased in the past few years. Even last year, where the team was historically bad, he had an injury-riddled season. He was still consistent. He had 38 points in 43 games. Um, so moving forward, there's I'd say there's a legit hope he could reach that point-per-game level. He's also only 25 years old, and he'll only get better here in the next few years. You know, The only thing I can say that might not be great about this contract is Next week, next four years, I'm not really sure the Red Wings are going to be able to compete for a Stanley Cup, but I think more than anything, it shows that their organization really is in good hands with Steve Eisenman at the helm because, um, um, you know, 
you know, thinking about the way the job he did in Tampa Bay, he he assembled a really really great team, and he had some great contracts there. And he also he's got one of his better players. I think it's a top two player on that team, and they signed him at a bargain price. Which I think if you're a player that as good as he is, I'm not saying Mantha's like a showcase player in the NHL, but when you think a guy that good on a team that bad, I think you would want more money. But no, he he settled for that deal, and I think. They can re- definitely resign after this, and we should give hope that Steve Eisenman is going to manage the rest of that roster really well. So, you know, great news for the Red Wings. It's going to be rough next year, probably, probably the next year as well. But I think their their future looks fine. All right. With that being the end of the hockey section, um, that about ends it for this week's podcast. Nick, any final thoughts? Uh, not really. You guys have any comments, questions, concerns, feel free to leave me in my email at nickoscorvette10yahoo.com. Other than that, thank you guys for listening. I'll hand it back to Brian. All right, Max, any final thoughts? Nope, nothing here. All right. Um, do I have anything to say? I don't think so, yeah. Um, another good podcast. Lots of things that we talked about. Um, so thanks for watching. If you listen, I mean, thanks for listening if you listen to the whole thing. We'll be back next week with another podcast. Let us know what you thought of this. You can uh, DM us, email us. Check out our videos on YouTube. We just posted a LeBron James video that um, Jack Gordon made. You know Jack. um, One of the people for the Sport Universe. Um, Check out our articles on the website, sportuniverse.com. Instagram, TikTok. Um, If you have any interest writing for us or editing videos or any way you think could help, contact the Sport Universe 2019 at gmail.com. Other than that, thanks for listening. Bye.